Hello and welcome back to our podcast. It is Saturday the 25th of July. Took me a second there. Um, Today we've got lots to talk about. We're going to be doing a championship review as the season's recently finished. We're going to be talking about the player of the year, the restart of the Champions League, the FA Cup final and of course we're going to be looking at some transfer rumours on our gibberish to done deal scale. Um, First up of course is the championship finishing uh, on Wednesday night, and it was a very exciting last day in the championship, wasn't it? Ben? Yeah, absolutely. And there were a lot of big games that helped to decide other games. It certainly wasn't a um, a dull final day, as far as uh, as, as far as this one was concerned. Um, the big games, obviously, you had your Brent Brentford Barnsley, and then for for Luton Town, there was what happened in the Charlton game as well as what happened in the in their game, and you know West Brom managing to um bag their place in the Premier League next season. It's uh yeah, it was a, it was an evening full of surprises really because a lot of the results actually didn't go the way that I'd have expected them to have gone. Well, here's something you just mentioned Luton Town and. Uh... You're, you're, uh, you're, you know, you're more of a lower league football fan than I am, uh, and I live near Luton and saw all these celebrations that they were staying up, and I get it, I really do, because you're staying into the, you're staying in the Championship after being in the relegation zone almost all season. Mm. Um, it seems to me though, when they keep going on about staying up, staying up, staying, all right, have your, have your night of fun, but is it not celebrating a bad season? Um, the you have that, to explain it to me because that's how I see it. The fact, the fact that a club has stayed up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the, you know the thing about low league. Well, the thing about any league, you you go down and and obviously there's a massive financial implication. Um, for, you know, obviously it's all relative. So a club at League One suffers a big, you know, when they like take Tranmere for example, they go down, they have a massive financial implication put on them um for a club at that level um the thing is the thing why the reason why you don't see as much as in the premier league is because the premier league has a lot of you know billionaire owners um clubs have a lot of billionaire owners so although there is a financial strain put on the club ultimately the owners have got the money um whereas in the championship and in lower leagues you know it, it is a it is almost yeah. I get where you're coming from. It's a celebration, even though you still had a poor season. But um, it was like there was a couple of clubs um, this season, you know, in the championship that were just like we're just desperate. We just need to stay up. We don't mind fighting a relegation battle because, you know, becoming going from being a championship club to going down to a League One club is is probably I'd say. Apart from maybe dropping out of the football league and going from League Two to the to the non league, um, that's the biggest um drop financially. Um, you know, going from being a championship club to being a League One club is massive. Um so I can kind of see where, where Luton Luton Town fans are celebrating in that respect. Yeah, I do I do understand the celebrations for a while. It's just when it goes on for me. But yeah. you know, there there was a lot to celebrate for them in that and when they found out about their we'll call it success yeah. or uh, of staying up. Yeah. And there were other clubs that were celebrating as well. I mean, at the restart of the championship, I believe Barnsley, Birmingham, Luton, Huddersfield and Stoke 
bottom five. Yeah. None of those clubs have been relegated. Hmm. Uh, the relegated teams are Charlton, Wigan Athletic, and Hull City. Yeah. That really tells you something about the, uh, you know, the, how unpredictable the championship is. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this one comment and leave it there. Um, the championship was allowed to play on, and as you've just said there, the five teams at the bottom were no longer the five teams at the bottom. Had that been the case in, in League One with Tranmere uh, and the case in League Two with Stevenage, um, those two clubs wouldn't be suffering as much as they are now. Uh, but I'll leave that point there. But, you know, but I would like to digress quickly. Is there an appeal going on? Well, it all seems to have gone very quiet about it, you know, and um, we, we've been told yesterday that um, the Football League, in terms of the Championship League One and League Two, will go back on the 12th of September. Um, so knowing the owners at Tramie, you know, that they're, whether they have this appeal going on on the back burner, I'm not sure. We certainly don't know um, in the public, but knowing the Tramere owners, they're going to be more focused on trying to get themselves ready for the League Two season. Um, and, right. you know, regardless of whether the, the an appeal happens, um, you know, just doing it the natural way and, and, and being promoted straight away. Yeah, well, uh, fingers crossed for, 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 you know, both Tranmere and Stevenage, who, Absolutely. you know, I can't remember the phrase you used, but it was like um, they faced, uh, like, certain death almost, yeah. um, just just having to go down. Yeah. Um, Hull City, Wigan Athletic and Charlton are going to have to face that yeah. now um, through the, the natural course of the of uh, the, the season. Yeah. But uh, we know that dropping from the Championship to League One, it's not easy to come back up, is it? No, and it's three. I mean, I, I can't really remember, unless you can you can try and prove me otherwise. I can't remember um, a Championship relegation happen to three big sides, like the three big sides that are going down this season. You know, these guys were... We're all Premier League time. Uh, we're all Premier League sides in our lifetime. If I'm not wrong, you know, I mean Wigan yeah. and Hull more recently than Charlton, but you know, those are three big names to all of a sudden be in the, in the third tier of English football. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting. Obviously, Wigan. You know, you can you can argue about the EFL's handling of the Wigan situation, but. Even Hull City. Um, the the remarkable story for me is Stoke because you know I, I thought Stoke were dead and buried at the start of the season. They've actually managed to to work their way into a mid table um, finish and jump above quite a few teams. Really, it's um, it's weird, isn't it? Because um, you know Nathan Jones left Luton to go to Stoke. Yeah. And then neither Luton or Stoke were doing well. Mm. And then he came back to Luton, and Luton's doing well again, and Stoke's doing well again. It's mm. it's like he's uh, you know he was meant to be at Luton, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, interesting how it works out. But now there's um, you know there's an awful lot to play for. It depends on obviously who goes up from the from the playoffs as well. I've got a sinking suspicion of who it will be. Um, but again, there's 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 two big games or three big games to uh, to play for there as well. Yeah, we, we will talk about the playoffs now. Um, the teams that can be promoted are Brentford, Fulham, Cardiff and Swansea. Yeah. Um, go on, who's your prediction? I'd back Fulham. Um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't back Brentford, which, which sounds stupid because they're third. Um, 
but I just I just feel like they're just not going to come up. Um, I don't know why, and if they do come up, I worry that they'll 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 go straight back down. But I feel that um, I think the winner of that semi final leg between Cardiff and Fulham will be the team that goes up. I think the team that makes it from that leg of the semi final, that semi final leg, the team that makes it to the to the final and to Wembley, I think will be the team that goes up. Like Fulham's your prediction. Yeah, I'd say so. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, it seems reasonable. They're uh, you know they're eighty one points, so the same points total as Brentford. Yeah. Um, and they're obviously uh, ahead of Cardiff and Swansea. Nottingham Forest, unfortunately, narrowly missed out. Um, as did Millwall, but you know Nottingham Forest is the is the one that hurts more for them missing out only on goal difference. Mm, absolutely, but again, you know, um, they they will now because of you know, the teams that that will go up and the teams that are coming down. I mean, what teams we've got coming down? It lo- it looks like uh, Norwich, and I wouldn't even really know about the other two. Um, but you know, are Norwich gonna? Um, going to finish in the top six next season I actually don't know to be honest you know on a lot of teams that uh, on a lot of clubs when a lot of clubs get relegated from the from the Premier League um, you know I think back to like when Newcastle relegated and you just knew that they were coming straight back up but I'd imagine the real you know the, the very few players that were good for Norwich this season will be snapped up at the earliest opportunity yeah. and I'm actually not so sure that the Norwich will come straight back up. So it is an opportunity for Nottingham Forest to, to maybe go and do it, either make the playoffs or try and get automatics next season. Yeah, the two teams going up automatically are West Brom and Leeds United. Um, should be two interesting additions to the Premier League next season, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, and recruitment's going to be an interesting one. Um Certainly for Leeds United because I think they. I know I'd certainly be wary whether many Leeds United fans are wary of it. It might just be how I'm thinking about it. But if I was a Leeds United fan, I'd be worried about how much Aston Villa have struggled in the Premier League this season. They've spent, you know, Aston Villa spent their money like you'd expect um, Leeds United to do. Um, and they've just got to try and avoid that trap. Um, I'm John. Promise, I'm not. I'm not a massive um, Leeds supporter in terms of you know, teams that I teams that I sim- sympathise with. Um, but I'm I'm told that they play very good football and that I'm to look forward to it. So uh, we we shall see. Maybe when we're back up on the radio in Newcastle, I might have my uh, head turned by them. But yeah, time will tell. Good football with some slightly underhand tactics. I yeah, think. well, that that's that's the. The reason why I'm not the the massive lead sympathiser is is because of the, um, the the tactics that have been employed and have been you know well publicised, in the press, um, you know with Spygate and things like that. It's um, and it's also tactics that the the Premier League probably wouldn't tolerate. I don't think. I do think that it's a bit, um, a bit amateurish in the Championship and and something that the Premier League just won't handle or you know won't won't um won't tolerate you know I mean Spygate just won't happen at Melwood or at you know at the Etihad at Man City's training ground or anything like that so I don't yeah, know I can't I'll I can't see. imagine Pep Guardiola reacting too kindly to that absolutely not but you know I'm I'm also told that 
there's nobody that knows the game quite like Bielsa. You know, um, apparently Bielsa lives and breathes football and he will actually, when he's signed um, the new deal, I'm not sure whether he has signed the new deal with Leeds, but when he does, or if he does, I think he becomes the fifth highest paid manager in, in the Premier League um, next season. Um, wow. So there's a lot of trust being put in him, definitely. Seems so. Well, uh, you know, hopefully they can do well that se- uh, next season putting that sort of money into it. Yeah. That is the, you know, championship done now. Yeah. Um for the for the year. We'll be obviously coming back next season and we'll have plenty more to talk about on the on the radio, hopefully by then. Yeah. Um one other thing in the championship, you know, which is a bit noteworthy is about Birmingham and it's not about them narrowly escaping relegation it's about them retiring the number 22 shirt in honour of Jude Bellingham who's recently completed a transfer move to Richard Dortmund a lot of controversy so I you know I sounded like um, Yaya Torre in his Leighton Orient thing then Um, lots of controversy surrounding this yeah I mean wow Uh, what what a story Um, it's just absolutely farcical this 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 decision um, I mean for me you know each to their own and um, I can understand an alternate opinion to this but I believe that actually for a club to be able to honour a player in the best way possible the best honour that you can give a player at your club is to um, retire the shirt number I say that because I think of what goes on at Liverpool and you've got Sir Kenny Dalglish and Steven Gerrard arguably you know the two best Liverpool players to ever play so Kenny Dalglish has a stand named after him um, and Steven Gerrard obviously is, is idolised in, in many ways. I don't know how many, how, how much, you know, how, what the time difference was between Gerrard leaving and Naby Keita taking the number eight shirt. But then I think yeah. of the number of players that have played the number seven shirt for Dalglish. You know, like, retiring a player's shirt number is the ultimate, for me, the ultimate um, token that you can give a player. And to give yep. it to a 16, 17-year-old who's scored four times and assisted three times this season, you know, for me, there's just no way that you can look at that in, in, a, positive, in a positive way. I, I don't see the reasoning behind it at all. I mean, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, you know, some of the greats that haven't had their shirt number retired. And, yeah. and uh, I don't know, Iniesta, yeah. um, Ronaldinho... Some real, uh, you know, Eric Cantona for Manchester United. Some real great, great players, and as you say, four goals and three assists, and and the shirt numbers retired. Yeah, now, he's only played one season for them. Well, yeah, and it wasn't even. Um, I I don't know what the spread was, but you know, for, for, I think he, that's that stats for forty four games. You know, I'm sure we've had Liverpool players like second. Um, second team fringe player Liverpool players this season not sure how many Origi scored this season but <laughs> you know it it just seems it, it's not even as if I mean Bellingham you know don't get me wrong Bellingham probably has been quite an instrumental player if you if you ask me to name Birmingham City players the first one that would have come to my head was Jude Bellingham um, yeah. so he probably has played quite a role this season but the fact of the matter is they finished what 20th this season um, you know, so not in only two places. It was actually two points off being relegated. 
and you're retiring a player's share on the back of a very poor season in the championship and you're retiring a player's number um, for a guy that's just done that. You know, there's no... For me, there's not even the possibility of playing devil's advocate with it. it it's just... It's just a, a mad, mad decision which there just doesn't seem to be any reasoning behind at all. Um, you know, I've read the report about why Birmingham... Um, decided to to do this and but I'm still I'm still on the wiser do you know what I mean I'm still I still don't feel like I know the answer or the reason and why they've done it what what was the reasoning they gave well it was it was all to do with the impact of a youth player you know like um a player coming through the ranks for a club and then bagging this big transfer move elsewhere um you know, and and Birmingham City felt like that was something to be, to be recognised. Um, but that was that was that was their their reasoning behind it. But you don't you don't retire a player's number for that. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's, I, there's other ways of 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 um, what's the word of recognising it, isn't there? Yeah, and and that's the weird thing that I was going to mention. I don't understand why they've done it because he is so young, yeah. and then their reasoning for doing it is because he's so young. Yeah. So I would have said, well, actually, what's he done in his career? What, finished 20th in the championship? <laughs> it's not... Uh, we know, could talk about this one for hours, yeah, I'm sure. Well, the big accolade is that he's got his move to Dortmund, but I don't want to sort of dampen the party. There was a player that played for Tranmere, a guy called Dale Jennings, um, a few years ago. I think, I can't remember what league we were in then, whether it was... I think, I'm sure, I think it was when we were in League One last time. Um before we'd been on the decline and we, we had this player called Dale Jennings which then went to sign for Bayern Munich. He went and signed for Bayern Munich. Um, don't think he ever played and now he's playing in like the seventh or eighth division. Um, you know, he's in his thirties, but he'd signed he'd signed for Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich wanted him, he signed, um, didn't play a game and then he's ended up playing for I think like a Warrington town or a Nantwich town or something like that. So you know, there's absolutely no guarantees that Jude Bellingham is going to do anything at Dortmund. You know, there's a lot of hype around him, but ultimately, let's look at what he's done in the Championship this season. Very little, uh, as far as stats go. He's got his move to Dortmund. Yeah, it could work for him, but there's also a very strong possibility that it might not. Well, he has seen to be a wonder kid, so, um, you know, I don't know that much about him. I know there's, as you say, a lot of hype around him. So he sort of fits in with that Dortmund mould well at the minute. But then I, when you look at that Dortmund team and you think, well, they've just spent what, 21 million on um, this 17-year-old from Birmingham, yeah. you struggle to see where he fits in. Well, exactly. I was literally just about to say, where, you know, if they decide that they can keep... Well, if, they, if, if Dortmund can keep hold of their front three, um, where, where does he fit in? You know, who, who gets dropped? At that yeah. front three, you know, for 15, 20 games a season or 20, 25 games a season for this 17-year-old. Because you're paying 20 million for a 17-year-old, you're going to play him, surely. You know, yeah. you know. well, so you're certainly buying him with a view to playing him. Obviously, he's got to train and the manager will play his 11 best players, but... You know, you're spending that sort of money for him to be a player in your team. I mean, he's looking in at getting in ahead of um, like Delaney, Dahoud, um, Emre Chan, yeah. 
Dorgan Hazard, Julian Brand. These are some massive players for the Dortmund team. Yeah, he's he's must. He's going to be a fringe player, isn't he? Well, you'd think so. I mean, we obviously don't know what's going on. Whether there's whether there's outgoings from Dortmund that you know we don't know about yet. Um, but even so, you know, if there were outgoings, as long as, as far as I'm aware, the front three at Dortmund are all under contract, so they they wouldn't be letting players go on a free. And I just feel like it's quite a risky move to go for somebody like this. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a risky move replacing um, a winger. You know, trying to replace anybody in that front three when they go, it's a risk with any player. Um, then it's even more of a risk when the player's young. And then it's even more of a risk when this player is young, only scored four times and assisted three times in 44 appearances in a very below average um, Birmingham City side. But you're paying 20 million for it. It just, it's just, I don't know what's more ludicrous because we've kind of digressed a bit there about, you know, um, whether Dortmund have spent the money well there. I actually don't know what's worse, the amount of money that Dortmund have spent on it or Birmingham retiring the shirt number. I genuinely don't know which is worse out of the two. Yeah. Well, maybe it's... Uh, we'll see soon. It might be a shrewd bit of business by Dortmund. I mean, I believe they bought Sancho for £12 million and he'd never even started at a senior appearance. Yeah. So, um, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I actually really look forward to seeing how he progresses and I hope he does progress well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you, you can never have too many good England players I guess yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah definitely talking of good England players uh, I'm going to talk of a great England player um, we've got Jordan Henderson found out to found out yesterday that he won the Premier League player of the year yeah uh, another one with a bit of controversy but do you feel he he earned his reward yeah absolutely and you know I actually don't see the um, controversy about about Henderson winning it, you know, I understand De Bruyne. You know, people believe that De Bruyne should have got there, but ultimately, you know, Liverpool absolutely thrashed their opposition this season, and they finished well above, well above Manchester City. And in the games that Liverpool didn't play well, or they scrapped for a long period of time, it was only when Henderson was on the pitch that Liverpool looked. At hundred percent, you know they were never working at hundred percent when Henderson was off the pitch. He was the captain that brought them their first Premier League title, and he perfectly embodies what it is to be a Liverpool player and to be a Liverpool leader. So, it, when you consider all of that, as well as his natural ability as a footballer, there's just nobody else came close for me actually in that decision. If it was my decision to make, nobody else comes close this season. Well. Uh, you know, the one that, that can be argued is Kevin De Bruyne. And you mentioned about work rate there and how he makes that, uh, you know, takes that work rate of the Liverpool team to 100%. Yeah. De Bruyne takes the quality of that City team. You know, if they're playing at 10%, he takes it to, he takes it to 100, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah so he, yeah. Is an, he is an amazing player and there's certainly an argument for him winning the award as well. Mm. Yeah, I think so, certainly. But I, to be honest, I think that the reason that um, De Bruyne probably didn't give it was didn't didn't get it, I should say, um, was because of how far City were behind Liverpool. You know, if we'd have had the same title finish that we'd had last season when it came down to the to the last game of the season and the clubs were neck and neck, um, it probably 
would have been given to De Bruyne or even if Liverpool would have won the league. But I think it's the fact that, you know, City have lost so many games. I get that it's not De Bruyne's fault, but the achievements of Man City this season have just been so below par in the league, really, when you think about it. Um, so that's probably gone in Henderson's favour as well, to be fair. Yeah, um, all I will say is, um, you know, I think it was, was it the 70, it, it was the Centurion season that we bought Salah, right? I think so, yeah. And he won Player of the Year, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, Pep Guardiola has come out and said, if we win the league, a Liverpool player gets better of the season. If Liverpool win the league, a Liverpool player gets better of the season. He's come out and said that. And um, I feel like he might be somewhat justified to some extent mm. when when you say, well, look how far Liverpool have finished above. Um, but actually, a Liverpool player got it when they finished 25 points above us and got 100 points. Yeah. It's yeah. a difficult one. and But... I, I personally believe that Jordan Henderson should get it. We've talked about this. Um, we talked about this before on the podcast, who's going to get it and who's been the best player this season mm. in the Premier League. Mm. And we've both come to the conclusion that it's Jordan Henderson because he is, um, you know, whereas Kevin De Bruyne takes the, improves the quality of that City team, yeah. they already have a hell of a lot of quality. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying the Liverpool team don't, but they don't function the same without Jordan Henderson. No, absolutely. And... <laughs> You know, Pep Guardiola. Every time he, every time he goes and complains, he does go down in my estimation so much. You know, this is this is decided by an independent board of who gets the player of the season. Best player of the season gets best player of the season. That that's simple. Um, if he doesn't like it, you know, that's the way that it is. And you know, hark at him for talking about unfairness in in world football after they've just been oh, yeah. let off the biggest um financial fair play fiddle ever um he doesn't have a leg to stand on as far as i'm concerned you know kevin de bruyne is a fantastic player and and you'd argue that probably in your best premier league 11 you know, we're talking about de bruyne that is going to go on in the premier league for longer than henderson so you know will be can probably considered a better midfielder by the time the pair of them have finished their careers you know, the way that De Bruyne yeah. looks at the moment, you probably will class De Bruyne as a better player. But, you know, for the here and now, it it, it would have been more scandalous if Jordan Henderson had not got it this season, really. Um, and, you know, again, he complains about Salah winning it two seasons ago. But think of all the goals. You know, Salah was scoring for fun in that season. He was doing a lot more in that Liverpool team than De Bruyne was doing for Man City. So, you know, I... I wouldn't even say I get his frustration because I don't because the best player of the season won best player of the season on both occasions. So, but yeah, that might just yeah, be being a Liverpool fan maybe, but there you go. Yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, you know, De Bruyne is, I think he's he's had more goal contributions than anyone this season. Yeah. Um, nearing, nearing 30. Um or, or above 30, I'm, I'm not sure, but it's a, a lot more than anyone else. Mm. Um, and he's one away from equaling Thierry Henry's Premier League assist record. Right. So it is, it is quite astonishing. I do agree, though, that the best player of the season did win. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And also, if we're, just, if we're just talking about that sort of... If we're just going to talk about whether he got this many assists, then 
we we could sit here and say, oh well, um, what about Trent? Because mm-hmm. he's got more assists than any defender. But you would never say that because it's not true. It's not realistic. No, yeah, um, and it and it's not it's not a the player of the season is not an accolade based on your on your goal contributions, is it? You know, and and Henderson. Right. We just, I think, I think it says more. It's about your contribution to the team. Yeah, I guess. And, and I think it says more of a player when it's not just the goal contributions that you miss when a player's off the pitch. Like it's what I was saying before. Liverpool just had a different energy when when Henderson was on the pitch, um, and and the team itself just looked more like winning, not necessarily scoring goals, just winning the game. Um, and that you know that in itself to me is is more important than than the sort of singular um, achievements of of one player having the most goal contributions this season. It's still a very good achievement to have, um, but again, you know, being able to change the whole dynamic of a team when you're on the pitch in comparison to when you're not, I think is just such a a valuable attribute to have. Yeah, and that and that Liverpool mentality of. Um, you know, we're a team. Mm. I, I saw on Jordan Henderson's social media earlier, mm. he put a picture of himself holding the, the award, mm. surrounded by every member of staff and every other player in the Liverpool team. Yeah. And he captioned it, team of the season, yeah. not player of the season, team of the season. So, um, you know, it, it perfectly shows how that Liverpool squad works. Yeah, and it came across in every single interview after the Chelsea game and after the title yeah. lift that they had with it, all the players and Klopp. They were, you know, because the, the, the pundits were trying to get out of these players, you know, you you yourself individually have had a great season this season or you have been the reason why Liverpool have been so successful. And not a yeah. single Liverpool player or, um, or Klopp um, was having any of it. It was all about the team effort, the team effort, the team effort. Yeah, and, uh, and it and it didn't look it didn't look like they were trying to do that either, no. did it? Yeah, they it, it just came it. across naturally. Yeah, um, J- Jordan Henderson. They said to him, "You've been an amazing player this season," and he said, "Oh, well, it's about the team." Virgil Van Dijk. I think soon I said to him, "You're the best defender I've ever seen," and he said, "Well, it's because of the team around me." Mm. Uh, Trent. He said, "Well, it's because I've got." Robbo on the other side. It yeah. just goes throughout the whole team, and uh, yeah, it, it's special. I'm I'm going on a bit here, yeah. so we're going to talk about the Champions League restart, yeah. which I believe returns on the. I'm slow. Uh, it yeah. is August, so yeah. I think it's the eighth of August or seventh of yeah, August. Yeah, I think it's the seventh, the Friday night, seventh of August. Right, so seventh of August. And the matches we've got are Napoli-Barcelona, Chelsea-Bayern Munich, Real Madrid-Man City and Lyon-Juventus. We'll talk through each of these matches individually, Mm -hmm. starting with Napoli-Barcelona. They're one goal apiece. Um, Should be, uh, once again, a great match. Well, do you know, my first comment was going to be, I actually think that this could be the boring one out of the four. Um, Napoli aren't in, aren't in great form. Obviously, they've, they've had a poor season in, in Serie A this season. And Barcelona just seem to be a shadow of what, what they are. So I can I can see the possibility of it being a good match because obviously the season will have finished and it, it's all like on this one game, isn't it? Because it decides the future of, of the Champions League for that team. 
Um, so I, I can understand that idea that, you know, um, you know that could think, be a Thinking about it, yeah, you're, uh, you're probably right, looking at the other matches. If I showed you this, you know, this time two years ago. Mm. Oh, fantastic game. Yeah, fantastic yeah. game. Absolutely. But, you know, I've been, since La Liga came back, I, I watched quite a lot of it. And, um, yeah, the, the gap between Barcelona and Real Madrid since the restart, I can't, I can't talk before the restart because I didn't watch um, an awful lot of La Liga before. Well, I didn't watch any La Liga before then. But coming back from the restart, the gap between Real Madrid and Barcelona was just incredible. Um, but, you know, I can also see the possibility of it being an entertaining game because it is sort of do or die and... and um, it's an opportunity, some, certainly something that Messi was talking about, you know, that this is the chance for Barcelona to salvage what has been a below-par season for them, really. Um, yeah. And the same goes for Napoli, because they've, they've, they've had a season in, in Serie A that they'll, uh, they'll be looking to forget, really. Um, and I think this is their only opportunity at being in the Champions League next season by actually winning it this season, because um, I think otherwise it's, it's Europa League. Don't quote me on that, but I know they're certainly not in the Champions League next season yeah. by league position. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there are uh, goals to be scored in that match. Yeah. I think it will be a, it will be a close one. Yeah. Um, it, it'll be more of a chess match, that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next one, which won't be a chess match, is Chelsea against Bayern. That's going to be, you know, more of battleships and Bayern blowing up all of Chelsea's ships, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, they, they already have, haven't they? Um, yeah. You know, Bayern have got, have got um, one sort of hand on the, on the, um, on the court finals, really. Um, yeah. I also think that, you know, Bayern will probably win by a similar scoreline that they did at Stamford Bridge in this one. Um, Chelsea is still a little bit too... I wouldn't say inconsistent, it's too harsh a word, but, you know, we've seen the force of Bayern this season, and I know in Europe it's not quite the same when they're playing Europe's best in the Champions League, but, you know, at home, um, which we've had a good record in since the restart, I just think they'll go and batter them again. You know, certainly 2-0 minimum, I'd say, for for um, Bayern at the Allianz. I don't know whether you, whether you feel differently there. No, I can't see. Uh, I can't see Bayern losing this. I think that they're, they're straight through, and they're either going to be playing Napoli, Barcelona, or Real Madrid, or Manchester United. Yeah. Um, and Man- I think Man City. Manchester City. Sorry. <laughs> been a, it's been a while since we've seen United in the, <laughs> yeah, in the Champions League. Um, yes. They'll be playing either Real Madrid, Manchester City, Napoli, or Barcelona, and I can't see why they couldn't beat any of those teams either. No. Um I'm I've 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 said um that I've got Bayern down as as favourites. Um I don't really know what this team is really capable of at the moment in the Champions League obviously since the since the lockdown but certainly since they come back in the Bundesliga they did just extend their lead over Dortmund because I remember the first podcast that we did before the start of Bundesliga and we were like, you know, I remember us both saying if there's going to be a season for Dortmund to take it, this is the time. And then you just saw over over those sort of 
two or three weeks, the first two or three weeks that Bayern just started edging ahead of Dortmund. Um, yeah. And they're, they're, they're the one team out of that lot there that I've just seen consistent, um, consistently good football pretty much every game. Um, so, yeah, for that reason, I'd probably have them down as my favourites, to be fair. I just can't see how they slip up. No. I really can't. When I see, you know, I think of how they've been playing, I think, well, where does this team go wrong, actually? Yeah. No, there isn't absolutely. anywhere on the pitch that, that there's that. There's not a hole in that team. No, no, it is, a, it is an absolute solid force. And actually, I think that's probably the only team remaining in the Champions League that you can hand on heart say that, that there isn't a hole in, in the team. Every other team that, that's in the Champions League does have a weakness somewhere. Um, yeah. Whereas Bayern is the only team that doesn't, and I think this is this is the season to take them seriously in the Champions League, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Leon Juventus is another match, uh, and Juventus are really going to want to win this one. They're one goal down on aggregate. Yeah. Um, but they are playing at home, so well, not that it makes much difference now. Um. Yeah, we'll we'll see about that one. I think Juventus can win. Yeah, they I expect can. Juventus to win, actually. Yeah, I probably would as well. They're not again, they're not a team that although they've they've um ultimately, you know, bossed Serie A really, um, you know, they've got a really healthy um points gap um going into the last couple of games of the season. Um but, you know, just to give you um obviously we've got Juventus playing Sampdoria later on this evening. Um, but they lost 2-1 to Udinese um, on Thursday night. Then they beat Lazio the game before, but then they drew to Atalanta and Sassuolo and lost 4-2 to Milan. Um, those were the games before then. So they're not a team that are um, unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, Leon. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, they've done well to get this far. Um, you know, they're not even the best team in, in the Farmers League of the French League. Um, but that, that 1-0 um, aggregate lead is going to be so crucial. I think Lyon will just set up to defend all game. I think they will try and sit on that on that 1-0. They might try and go for an early goal, but ultimately do what Atletico did to Liverpool and just sit back and, and frustrate with 11 men behind the ball. Um, because I think that that's that's potentially the only way that they could do it, really, apart from maybe no. getting an early goal. Yeah, I don't think you could blame them for doing that. Um, but Cristiano Ronaldo isn't just going to sit back and do nothing. He's yeah. uh, he's you know one of those mentality giants in the game, isn't he? That yeah. he's just you know constantly needs to win. Yeah. His ex-club is Real Madrid. They're going to be facing Manchester City. Uh, it's currently sitting at City, two goals to Real Madrid, one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I th- I believe that when we were when we were talking about this match on the radio up in Newcastle, you were backing Real Madrid. I was backing City. Yeah. Um, but it's still still in either of these teams' hands, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, Real Madrid have got a lot of force. Have had a lot of force in in La Liga again. They've had the odd dodgy result here and there, but I'd have Real Madrid down at the moment as probably my second favourites in in the um, in the Champions League, and that is still with them being at a two one, um, you know, aggregate disadvantage to 
to Man City, a 2-1, as you've said, you know, um, is really not um, that difficult to overturn. You know, those right. sorts of aggregates have been overturned in the past. City look very, very strong, to be fair. It, you know, going forward, Real Madrid have got an awful lot to contain at the back, but you know, carrying Benzema is an inspired form at the moment um, and Man City are not in a great position in the defence. So... I expect that to be a very open game, lots of attacking football um, and probably not so good defending. Um, but that's the formula for an exciting game, so I'm, I'm sure that probably will be. Yeah, and, and you've watched uh, a fair amount of Real Madrid and, of course, uh, we've both watched a lot of Man City. Yeah. Um, which one do you think is looking the best since lockdown? I'd probably still say Man City to be honest, um, right. just because of the teams that they, they that they played ultimately. Um, Real Madrid. I wouldn't even say they've picked up better results. They probably they might have picked up more wins. I'd like to see the stats since lockdown. What the what the wins, draws, and losses breakdown is. Um, yep. But I don't know. I still just back whether it's whether it's City's. Um, you know, just dreadful ability to do anything in Europe, do any damage in, in Europe. Um, yeah. Maybe that's part of the reason why I still back Madrid. But, you know, both teams are in very good form going forward. At the back, Real Madrid are definitely more solid than Man City. So I do believe that that might just give them the edge in, in that game at the Etihad. Yeah, and Aguero will be fit. So, um, you know, you've got Aguero at one end and Benzema at the other. Yeah. And... Uh, Certainly look forward to watching that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of other matches, which are the quarterfinals, are Atlanta against PSG and Leipzig against Atletico. Yeah. Um, these two are both going to be tight, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, it, it's quite a nice opportunity for all eight teams because I, I, you know, uh, sorry, uh, for all four teams, um, because those four teams are. Yeah, you know, certainly three of the four teams are in the weaker bracket of the teams that are left in the um in the Champions League. If if you ask yeah. me, so it's a really good opportunity for two of those teams to get their place in the in the final four. Yeah, and uh, you know, PSG, another team who failed to do damage in Europe, yeah. but um, we'll see. Um, Kylian Mbappe's picked up an injury uh, with three weeks now until the match <laughs> against Atalanta, but. Uh, you know, he he should be fit again, I believe. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a massive blow if he if he isn't. Um, Atalanta is certainly not a team to be snubbed this season. If they're not first, they're certainly in the top three um, top goal scorers in in Serie A this season. They've got goals coming from all areas of of um, that front line, um, so they're going to go and try and score loads of goals as well and and Paris you know the obviously if Mbappe is playing then there's going to be goals there as well um but I don't think you know on on paper on the face of it you probably would have Paris down and PSG down as your favorites but um Atalanta will know that they are certainly by by no means out of this competition yet um you know if they've been playing around Madrid or Bayern Munich you pro you know they probably think oh well just go out, leave everything out on the pitch and see what result there is at the end. But I actually think that Atalanta will feel that they 
they've got as good a chance really as PSG to, to make their way into the final four. Yeah. Um, Leipzig, Atletico should be pretty clear-cut this one. Um, as I said, it will be a tight match, but I'm going to say Atletico have got to win it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Leipzig have obviously now lost their, their star man. Um, so... Yeah, it's it has to be, um, and the yeah you know, I'd probably have Atletico down as my third favourites behind um Bayern and Real Madrid. So yeah. I, I'd be I'd be surprised if they didn't make it to the final four. But the interesting yeah. thing will be who they end up playing in the um in the uh semi final because that you know that will be a, a big sort of. You know, let's say, let for argument's sake, let's say um, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich are, are the two teams to make it into the final four alongside, um, you know, Atletico and either Atalanta or PSG. The team that draws either Atalanta or PSG has practically got a ticket to the final, haven't they? Whereas, you know, playing Atletico in in the semi finals is quite a quite a rough draw, really. Yeah, uh, they're going to cause trouble for whichever team comes up against them. Yeah. Um, you know, Simeone and, and his squad are not ones put down easily. No, definitely not. Um, another uh, knockout competition is the FA Cup. The finals are coming up soon. Uh, that's going to be played between Arsenal and Chelsea. Not quite what we were expecting no. in the final. <laughs> The, the exact opposite that, of what we were expecting. <laughs> no, that that's going to be played on the first of August. Yeah. Um, and I'm expecting to see Chelsea win this one. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, you would probably expect um Chelsea to win. Um, I just I I feel that when um, you know, Arsenal do build themselves when they have a good performance, they build themselves around Aubameyang, and if Aubameyang's on his day. Um, on the FA Cup final, he is the best player on the pitch, if you ask me, um, if he's on his day. Um, it is just... I, 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 do, I do believe it will be a close affair. I do think the game will probably have under four goals in in the 90 minutes, where you know you do get some finals um, where you have you know quite a few goals and it's, it's a bit of a goal fest. But I, I, don't, I can't actually see that many goals. I was going to say up to two goals in, in, in the final. Um, but we'll see. You know, I don't think I didn't really think Chelsea were all that special against Liverpool. I know they scored three times, but you know, one of them was a mistake that you know nobody was really to blame for, and Giroud was in the right place at the right time, or whoever it was that tapped it in. I think it was Giroud. Um, you know, Chelsea weren't all that weren't that good against Liverpool, really. Um, no, but. Uh... Pulisic is a problem, isn't he? Yes, yeah, and that's, he is that's fantastic. That is the difference. You know, if Pulisic does play, then it is, you know, arguably my statement about um, Aubameyang being the best player on the pitch. You know, if Pulisic is, is playing for Chelsea, is starting for Chelsea, then you probably argue that he might just trump Aubameyang, really, in, in current yeah. form. Um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, if you, had, if you had Hazard still on that Chelsea team, you'd be backing them to win and yeah. I... I do feel the same way about Pulisic. Yeah, yeah, it'd certainly be a, an interesting final. I mean, the most interesting thing about it is we were expecting it to be an all Manchester final, you know. Um, but it's um, it's also a big opportunity for Mikel Arteta because Mikel Arteta has already come under a lot of fire, really, 
um, for picking up, you know, most recently some very inconsistent results and there's doubts and question marks about, you know, okay, yes, he needs he needs this transfer window, but there's the the doubts and question marks about how much money he's going to get from the ownership from the from the owners and the chairman, um, and actually how good he can realistically be. Whereas this season, Frank Lampard doesn't have a point to prove with Chelsea, does he? So it's actually, um, I wouldn't say, it, it, it makes it sound like, you know, Frank Lampard isn't bothered about it, but it is a bigger occasion for Mikel Arteta, really, because I think he's got a bigger point to prove this season. Yeah, and both teams have actually been reasonably you know, inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, Arsenal more so than Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, Arsenal beating Liverpool then City, then losing to, I think it was West Ham. Yeah. Um, and and Chelsea have had some similar slip-ups, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, either of these teams, if both of these teams play the best they can on the day, then I still think Chelsea are going to win. But if both of these teams play at their sort of most recent inconsistent form, then I think it's anyone's. Yeah, I think so. I, quite interestingly, I, I, I back Arsenal for this one. Um, right. But so we're on opposing sides for a change. Yeah, yeah, it makes a nice change. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've I've got Arsenal for this one a very by a very slim margin. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd probably have Arsenal down for that one. Well, we'll see if uh, it might all come down to a Kepa mistake. Yeah. Um, talking of Kepa mistakes. There might be no more of those for Chelsea uh, as we move on to our gibberish to done deal transfer rumours. And the first one is Oblak to Chelsea with a price tag of £120 What do you think? It's just the price tag that just completely switches me off to that one. I mean, where does it end? You know, the the ever-increasing value put on a goalkeeper, it's... um... Yeah, I don't know. Well, it, it's Liverpool's fault. Yeah, well, yeah, they started it. Kepa didn't... Yeah. Kepa at uh, Chelsea didn't make it much better, though, to be fair. No, no. Um, I think he was £80 million to Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is just outrageous. So you can see why. If Chelsea went out and spent £80 million on Kepa, you can see why then uh, Atletico are demanding 120 for the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's um, it's it's probably easy money as well for Atletico because, you know, I do feel that goalkeepers, you know, they 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 can have their value made so quickly after one night or you know a couple of games of of extraordinary goalkeeping and you know Oblak has been a very good keeper all season. Don't get me wrong, but there's been a couple of nights in particular that will have seriously done, you know, worked wonders for, for his transfer value, you know, game, the uh, two games against Liverpool being, being two examples. Um, I'd be snapping anyone's hand off that offered me 120 million for Jan Oblak. I'd be like, yeah, okay, bye. Um, even though he is the best goalkeeper in the world, 120 million is, is stupid money to turn down, I think. Yeah, it is, and you can you can reinvest that so wisely. I do think, uh, you know, the fact the Chelsea fans want it, um, the Chelsea team needs it. Mm. Uh, I, I've got to put this one on likely. Right. Okay. Okay. 
I'm gonna just I'm, go on. sorry, ju- just because I think they're so desperate for a goalkeeper. The only other argument is if they, you know, if they get another a different keeper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I still hold my um, my hope out for Andrea Nana to come from from Ajax. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how deep the pockets are at Chelsea. To be fair, I question how much Chelsea will get for Kepa. I think they will make quite a quite a hefty loss on him. Really, um, you know, I can't. I can't see him going for much more than forty five million. Um, and then if you're gonna go out and and spend hundred twenty million on Odd Black before you've even started paying the guy's wages. It's a massive um, extra strain, but you know I remember Graham Sooner saying on Wednesday night that, or maybe it was John Barnes that said, you know Chelsea will not go anywhere further while they've still got Kepper in goal, um, which is harsh but true. Um, so yeah, they probably do need to invest in the goalkeeper. Can I see them spend one hundred twenty million on Yano Black? No, I can't. So I'm gonna have to put it in unlikely. I think. All right. So once again on opposing sides, yeah, uh, we're we're going to wrap up this podcast with one going out of Chelsea, and he's an integral player to their team, and that's N'Golo Kante um, to Inter Milan. Yeah, he's got a price tag of seventy-two million, um, but that you know that's his that market value uh, that could vary, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it certainly could. Um... And yeah, it's quite a it's quite a reasonable and unsurprising amount, really. Um, when I think of when I think of Angola Kante, you know, like one hundred and twenty million for Oblak does surprise me a little bit, even though he is the best keeper in the world at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's an unsurprising figure. So I could see him travel to you know quite a lot of clubs for that sort of price tag. Really, it, it just seems a bit odd though. Um, that Frank would, would let him go. Um, you know, Chelsea need to get rid of a little bit of the deadwood and, and get players in with with the money that they've got. But getting rid of Kante does seem to, you know, knock the spine of the team a little bit, really. Yeah, you know, you're, you're reinforcing the team so much with, um, you know, new midfielders and, and attackers, but... If there's one player that you really want, it's it's to keep him, isn't it? Mm, yeah, absolutely. But I, I don't know. You know, money money always talks, and for seventy two million, as much as um, he's a great player, seventy two million could go and buy you, you know, Wilfred and Didi if you wanted that, or you know, a player that could could do um, a similar job at Chelsea. He's not he's not irreplaceable, Kante. You know. Yeah, well, so, they can. They can make a, a a profit on this. You could sell Kante for sixty million, and then go by yourself and Didi for forty, yeah. uh, Thiago for forty. A similar player of actually nowadays a similar quality. So I'm not sure. Yeah, they could quite easily do, and I'm not sure how, how exactly how old N'Golo Kante is, but um, you know he's also not. Let's not forget, you know, he's not the best midfielder in the league. He's actually. I wouldn't say he's quite a way down the table, but he's not. He's not my immediate in my immediate top five. Um, he's he's definitely not in my top five best Premier League football um, best Premier League midfielders this season. You so, put up Ndidi above him. Uh, 
Possibly, yeah. I'd certainly be putting in Bruno Fernandes, Henderson, De Bruyne, uh, yeah. arguably Foden. David Silva still goes in there even though he's retiring. You know, there's a lot of big names in there. Um, that's only thinking about three clubs. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of other players that you could probably put in there potentially above Kante. So, you know, although we say he's a very important part of the backbone of that of that Chelsea team, which, you know, arguably he is, if he's not in your top three or top five Premier League midfielders and somebody's offering £72 million for him, it actually might not be that, that bad a piece of business, really. No, I suppose not. But uh, you know, he's loved by the fans um, of Chelsea. He's loved by the fans of the Premier League. So personally, I don't want to see him go. But I w- actually wouldn't be surprised by this one. He's twenty nine years old, um, and maybe it's time for him to move on again in his career. Yeah, quite possibly. Where do you see it? Um. At the moment, because there doesn't seem to be anybody emerging as favourites to, to go and sign in, more certainly firm favourites, I'm still probably put it in unlikely. I'm feeling in a very pessimistic mood this evening. Um, yeah, well, but, I'm yeah. going to go middle bracket, that, that void between unlikely and likely. Yeah, OK. Well, that, uh, that concludes tonight's... Uh, oh, I've given it away now after all of that. That we recorded it the the night before. Yeah. Uh, that concludes today's um, podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Next week will be hosted by Ben, and there'll be plenty more to discuss regarding the football world. Um, but until then, stay safe and thanks for listening.